Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by Nick Augustine PR. Our 30-minute weekly guest call-in shows covers local and national legal news and events, as well as legal experts and current trends in law practice management. We cover the important news and issues that affect various practice areas, so get in touch and let's tell your story. Partial support for Law Talk Radio comes from our sponsor advertisers who cover our production fees. We encourage our friends and colleagues to help sponsor the production of our Law Talk Radio shows. You can send me an email directly for more information on sponsor plans and benefits at nick, N-I-C-K, at nickaugustinepr.com. That's N-I-C-K-A-U-G-U-S-T-I-N-E-P-R.com. Don't forget to share the on-demand links to our episodes in your social media pages when you see something that you want to share. All of our episodes and our several other programs are available on the Nick Augustine PR website under the Listen Now link in the middle of the home page. You can also visit, like, and share our Law Talk Radio episodes directly on our, from our host station, um, the Blog Talk Radio Network, as well as from our Facebook and Twitter pages. Today's show is titled About Immigration Reform and Options with Kiki M. Mosley. Uh, immigration reform has been in the spotlight of several news programs, professional groups, and several websites and social media pages devoted to the development of a United States immigration system that reflects present-day values, politics, and a mobile workforce. Comprehensive reform remains a goal of many, and today, immigration attorney Kiki M. Mosley is our guest to share the correct information about the status of immigration and reform and some other options available today. Attorney Kiki M. Mosley graduated from Denison University in the year 2000 with a bachelor's degree in sociology and anthropology and black studies. After she completed her undergraduate studies at Denison University, Ms. Mosley worked for Orbits.com on the business development team and then moved to Tanzania, East Africa, where she's taught several schools over the course of three and a half years. Ms. Mosley's interest in working in immigration law comes from her own experiences in traversing the immigration system with members of her own family. Ms. Mosley has experience in working on a variety of immigration matters, including, but not limited to, asylum, removal, family-based immigration, employment-based immigration, and naturalization. Ms. Mosley also devotes approximately 10% of her practice to pro bono work and volunteering work, such as appearing on this show today. You can find more information at her website, which is www.kikislaw.com. And again, you can also find that on Facebook and social media as well. Some of the topics today we're going to cover, uh, generally speaking, we're going to talk about the status of immigration systems today and uh, what the issues are regarding reform. Next, we'll talk a little bit about what immigrants to the U.S. should know about the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, the DACA, and then we'll talk a little bit after the short break about the provisional stateside waivers to, and who may apply for them and what is involved, and then we'll uh, talk about just some more uh, issues in immigration and uh, Ms. Mosley's advice for men, women, and their families who desire U.S. citizenship. By way of short disclaimer, as we get going here, this is a general information and entertainment program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Communication with attorney guests among guests and callers on our shows cannot give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have specific questions, you should consult with an attorney in your area. Finally, all rights to this broadcast are reserved. So, enough from me. Let's hear from our guest, Attorney Kiki Mosley. Hello, Nick. Thank you for having me on the show today. 
Well, thanks, Kiki. I appreciate your time and coming to talk to us about the truth about immigration reform. And uh, just as we were talking before the program started here, there seems to be a lot of uh, play in the news about immigration reform. It's close. It's almost done. It's not done. And then uh, we go on to another news story. And so a lot of people just figure that, hey, everything's done with immigration reform. But truth is, it's not. Tell us more. Okay, I mean, that's a very good point to make. I probably get two to three calls a day to my own practice asking how, um, from people who would like to take advantage of the new law, as most people would refer to it, which is comprehensive immigration reform. However, there has not been any new law um, for comprehensive immigration reform that has been passed. What has happened is that it passed the Senate, and it's, it's stuck in the House of Representatives right now, and we will probably see something much different come out if we do have a final law um, that is put into place than what we have heard about in the news. So I just want to take um, a a couple minutes to go over what we know currently to be comprehensive immigration reform or the plan for it to be. So the title of the act is called Border Security, Economic Opportunity, and Immigration Modernization Act, or also called S-744. Um, and there are five main um, titles to the Act, or the different sections to the Act, covering border security, immigrant visas, interior enforcement, so that would be enforcement of our immigration laws within the 50 United States, reforms to the non-immigrant visa program. So there are a lot of visas for people who come to the United States that are not initially, when they enter, intending to get something like lawful permanent residence, which was more commonly known as a green card or citizenship. Um, So a reform to those programs, jobs for youth, and, um, you know, or you may hear individual titles to the programs, kind of subtitles referred to as well. Um, And so those are the five main sections of the bill. What is very unique about this bill is that there, each of the titles are tied to one another with a system of triggers. For example, um, in order to have what we are, what is called the uh, Registered Provisional Immigrant or RPI program come into effect, which would allow people who are currently without status who meet certain um, who meet certain guidelines to apply to actually register for this Registered Provisional Immigrant status. So they, they, you know, they can't have a criminal record. They have to abide by all of the different guidelines. We will see what that, what those guidelines are, you know, once we have an actual law. But it allows them to kind of come on, um, come online. So they're not living kind of just below the surface, unable to drive, etc. So that would be um, one of the more common subsections that we would hear about in the news. It is just very important to understand that no section has been put um, put into law and that in order for something like the way that the bill, bill is currently written, in order for something like a registered provisional immigrant program to even come into fact, that it would be triggered by certain accomplishments and specifically southern border security being accomplished. And that makes this bill very unique. 
It's not just addressing these five things separately. One is tied to the other, and you can't get to step two without step one having been completed or specific parts of step one having been completed. So that is something new that we're seeing in the, the way that this is written. Um, so that now, makes, Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, so where are the... So there are, are, are the five main areas here, mm -hmm. are those not necessarily the sticking point? Why, why is this failing? And you said it passed the Senate and has failed in the House. Is it up again uh, for a vote? Uh, we're just asking your personal opinion here. Um, do you, what, what are some of the sticking points, and do you think that we'll be able to pass and get these things uh, into law? The, I think that the sticking points are... It is, and again, this is just my personal opinion. I think that it's failing in the House. It was not. It was not expected to just be taken as whole and passed through the House. It was never expected right. um, for that to happen. Um, there are kind of sore spots when it comes to um, the way that our current immigration law is written, where many of the House, many representatives in the House of Representatives don't like uh, the fact that people can, who came in across the border um, without any type of status, uh, you know, that were not fleeing, say, specific violence or, you know, looking for physical protection in the United States from war, et cetera, entered without having um, even attempted to ever apply for any type of visa, and that with this, uh, with comprehensive immigration reform, would be allowed to d get this um, re registered provisional immigrant status, uh, and that is a sticking point with them. It's kind of an issue of you know what we call in law is the clean hands doctrine. If you never mm -hmm. attempted to do something legally in the you know to enter legally in the first place, why should you then be rewarded with when we have um, comprehensive immigration law come into effect for having done so? Now, I you know I want to make it clear that this law is very, well, if it becomes law. So this bill is very specific in that there are, um, there are bars to becoming, just because you're here doesn't mean that you would be able to get this registered provisional immigrant um, status. There would be bars for uh, drink, drunk driving uh, convictions, gang activity, domestic violence, passport fraud, identity theft. These are things that actually can be waived under the current immigration law, and people can still be allowed to get status. And so it's not that it's a blanket amnesty, but I think that that is a sticking point for a lot of the representatives that we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for answering that. I mean, I was just curious what's going on behind, mm -hmm. because, again, when I watch the news, I never really know you know, who's wearing what hat when they're uh, telling me different things. So, uh, so anyways, moving on, you were uh, discussing more about the triggers and the uh, things you found unique about it? Correct. So, um, for instance, uh, and I'll just give an example of what a trigger would be so we don't get into too much of kind of the, the legalese of, of everything going on. So <clears throat> the RPI status, the Registered Provisional Immigrant Status, which was, is what many people would want to be taking advantage of, um, it, people would be able to apply immediately. However, the program in and of itself would not come to being until the Department of Homeland Security can certify that there's a, the comprehensive southern border security strategy has been deployed and operational, that there's 700 miles of fencing that is complete at the southern border, that 38,405 Border Patrol agents are deployed, 
and that the E-Verify employment verification system is in place um, across the board. So what that means is, and now as far as what the you know, totality of the comprehensive southern border security strategy is as far as being deployed and operational, I cannot tell you. I mean, that is probably hundreds of pages of, <laughs> of you know, what would have to be enforced. Mm -hmm. but, um, so what it's being tied to, so bringing these, uh, something like the Registered Provisional Immigrant Program or the RPI program into being, we're saying we're not just going to issue these cards. We need to see a tightening of border security specifically at the southern border. There is no point in offering these cards when we just have this steady stream of people being permitted to cross the southern border. Although southern border security is much tighter now than it has been in years, we still see, you know, daily a, a significant amount of people being allowed in um, that come into the United States illegally. And I think something that's also important for people who are listening to understand is if you are a Mexican national and you are deported by the United States, let's say, for instance, just from Chicago's jurisdiction, literally by the bus load, they just take you to the border and you get off the bus. If you, there are people, if you can get in that day again, if you can just turn around and come back in, then people do that. The, the enforcement of the deportations on both sides are, are, are lax in the point that literally hundreds of people are just let off at the border and then the bus drives away. So, yep. so it's, it's, it. it's not efficient. It's not efficient. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's dangerous because the border area in many places is very dangerous, especially with all of these narco cartels with, you know, in the mm -hmm. drug trade. Um, and so you also, the biggest concern for my clients, because there are clients that I cannot offer them relief from deportation, what my role is is coming in and helping them through the process, um, is that they're terrified to be just left at the border. Um, oh, yeah. And because they're not from there. Mexico is a is a very large country. They may be from southern Mexico. They may be, you know, they may have come in on a visa on a flight years ago. And so... I think these are some of the things that would be addressed and what that kind of comprehensive southern border security strategy would be. Well, and right, right. And, and, you know, I don't think that anybody who is, you know, I'm in Texas and I'm in North Texas and Dallas. It's quite a different story, though, from El Paso or uh, people in San Antonio. You know, I mean, in El Paso, got Juarez on the other side. And exactly. I can imagine if someone came in in Brownsville um, by Nuevo Laredo and then you exactly. drop them off in Juarez, I mean, that's like taking somebody from – the middle of Iowa and dropping them in the middle of the city of Chicago. They'd be scared out of their minds, I can imagine. Absolutely. And so, wow. I mean, those are some of the things, you know, as far as what the everyday kind of boots-on-the-ground reality of how um, these things work, that's, you know, these are the things that we, that we are really trying to, or as an immigration attorney, we would really like to see rectified. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the only, the one other point, because, uh, immigration reform or comprehensive immigration reform is also there's parts of it that are geared to helping the court systems become more efficient um, and with there are so many it's so fact specific depending on the client but right now in Chicago uh, immigration court we have judges that are backed up four and a half years for their next available hearing so I have wow. clients that go in that need to be assigned a date and that have 
valid defenses to deportation um, and w- who will not, who are unable to get a court date in front of a judge. Uh, my last judge scheduled me for October 22nd, 2017. Oh, my. Do your calendar go out that far? <laughs> Google Calendar does, thank God. I actually wondered that <laughs> when I got the date in my hand that day. Um, but so the, those are the other, there. you know, the other, when we look at just, it's it's inefficient across the board from A to Z. So those, this, hopefully this bill will be, will address and be able to rectify some of those issues as well. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and then come back and talk about some specific options for people who desire to come to the U.S. and do so legally and uh, work and raise families. And uh, I do hope that all of the people out there listening, regardless of what side of the fence you may be on party-wise, to keep an open mind and think that really immigration reform may be good for everyone. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, stand down and agree on something. You know, this is a bipartisan effort as far as I'm personally concerned, and uh, I hope to see something good come out of it. So we're going to pause for a short break. Uh, Those who sponsor Law Talk radio programs do get the uh, halfway point uh, promotional space here, and since Nick Augustine PR is the sponsor for today's program, I'll tell you a little bit about what we have going on here. So Nick Augustine PR is a creative content marketing agency offering affordable monthly marketing and publicity plans to individual and small business clients. Nick Augustine PR monthly plans focus on writing and managing social media, blogs, newsletters, and podcasts. In addition, Nick Augustine PR offers traditional copywriting and public relations services. A few of the benefits of our monthly plans are, number one, our content is custom written for our clients and we avoid promoting your direct competitors in your area. Clients do email us article ideas and we add them to the publication calendars along with the articles that we propose for publication that we find as we follow your industry in the news itself. Uh, Also, the consumer public does expect professionals and businesses to maintain a basic reasonable presence online and we take care of that for you. So you can contact me, Nick Augustine, directly at nick at nickaugustinepr.com to find out more about what we can do to keep your marketing machine and PR machines moving while you focus on your work. All right, back to our program with Kiki Mosley from the law offices of Kiki M. Mosley in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Kiki, let's talk a little bit more about some of the uh, new options uh, here. Um, and People like to hear about new laws, so let's talk first a little bit about the deferred action for certain childhood arrivals um, and then move on to, again, a little bit more about the uh, stateside waivers as you were talking about and, um, and some more uh, exciting news. So tell us what's good. Okay, so we have two um, quote-unquote new programs that have come into being in a little bit over the last year. Uh, the first one was, is Deferred Action for Certain Childhood Arrivals, which is usually goes by its short name of DACA. And it was um, an executive order from President Obama in response to the inability for the DREAM Act to pass. Now, I'm not going to go into the very specifics of the DREAM Act, but it was essentially to protect certain children who had been who, certain people who had been brought in as children in recognition of the fact that if you're a minor and you are brought into this country either illegally or your family, your parents, your guardians decide to remain here even after their visa has expired, you really have very little say in that as a child. And so they end up in a position in which they are here without any valid status, and this really 
does you know is it true disadvantage to them educationally, socially, and otherwise? So the deferred action for certain childhood arrivals program, what we have is it's there are three forms that we use, and there's a four hundred sixty five dollar filing fee. But what it allows is for people who meet the following guidelines to be able to get employment authorization, which then allows them to get for two years, which is valid for two years. And it allows the, um, them to also get their own social security number, therefore driver's licenses, et cetera, in most of the 50 states. So in the case of uh, DACA, a childhood arrival for the purposes of this program, so you have to have been under the age of 31 as of June 15, 2012. And that's when this decree came into action. You had to have come to the United States before reaching your 16th birthday. You have to have continually resided in the United States since June 15, 2007 to the present. You had to have been present in the United States on June 15, 2012. You had to have entered without inspection, so that means you came in without a visa before June 15, 2012, or your lawful status it had expired as of June 15, 2012. Now, this is where we see kind of this DREAM Act component come in because the DREAM Act was very education-heavy. You must be currently enrolled in school, have graduated or obtained a certificate of completion from United States High School, obtained your general education development certificate, or your GD, or have been an honorably discharged veteran of the Coast Guard or Armed Forces of the United States. You may not have been convicted of a felony, significant misdemeanors, or three or more other misdemeanors. And you cannot be, there's the the general caveat, you cannot pose a threat to national security or public safety. So what this means, what the last, you know, a question that we had as lawyers of what if significant misdemeanors. DUIs, you are automatically ineligible for DACA. Um, If you have, we also see that they reserve, you know, there are lots of arrests. So you're never convicted, but, uh, you know, you you have a significant arrest record. We're not, you know, we're there, that's a public safety issue. Even, you know, no matter kind of what your status is, there's really no reason for you to have been arrested 13 times by the time that you're 22 and kind of be involved in anything that that's good. So um, there there is that caveat, and we, did, we have seen USCIS adjudicating these quite seriously. Um, and so... This once the status is approved, it's good for two years, and it is renewable. As you know, as the law is written now, and it is it is in effect, it is renewable. Um, so, the way that we see something like this tie in with Im- comprehensive immigration reform is that co- if comprehensive immigration reform does become law, and it resembles something like what we think it will. Um, young men and women who applied for DACA and were approved under DACA because they've met all of these, um, they meet all of the requirements and they continued on in school, et cetera, and have no intervening criminal issues also would be allowed to get this registered provisional immigrant status, uh, would be allowed to go to lawful permanent resident status, which means get their green card on a, quote, expedited basis. We do not know what expedited is going to mean at this point. But there are, so that would be a, a proposed advantage of applying for DACA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so at what age, what, what age would uh, the children be eligible again? 
Okay, so they would have to have reached their 16th birthday. Um, well, oh, okay. they came into the United States before reaching their 16th birthday. So they can be less than 16. So I have students, I mean, I have students who are um, who are in high school now. So we just show that they are currently in high school. But they would have mm-hmm. to, um, you know, we would have to show that they, we have to show each of those points. And they can be kind of lengthy uh applications. I would recommend working with an attorney on these types of of um, files, sending them into USCIS because they are very specific and they're very document heavy. And you should be able to find people doing these at reasonable rates. And also there are a lot of legal aid programs specifically dedicated to DACA. Because a, a mm-hmm. big thing about DACA was that $465 is a lot of money, especially if you're in high school and you your parents are out of status. Um, oh, sure, sure. To be able to apply for something like that. So there's lots of legal aid programs um, and just pro bono programs. I am part of one with the uh, Legal Assistance Foundation of Chicago to specifically handle these types of cases. So what other, what's the other, uh, we have about five minutes left, so let's mm-hmm. uh, hit the other, the other new law, the other good, exciting news. Okay. So um, the I-601A, it was called an I-601A is the form number, and it's a Provisional Unlawful Presence Waiver. And what this does, it's, it's relatively specifically targeted, but it allows people who um, have a visa available to them who had to exit the United States to reprocess back in. So if you come into mm-hmm. the United States without a visa and you say you marry a United States citizen, you must show um, that, well, you must exit to your home country and then reenter, but also um, request a waiver of your of inadmissibility, which means you're admissible inadmissible because you came in without a visa one, and b if you have been in the United States without um, status for either more than three months or more than six months, you incur a specific bar. So what the I-601A waiver allows is that for most of the waiting to get an approval, so you get this provisional approval of. Um, showing extreme hardship to your either United States citizen parent or spouse before you exit to your home country. The advantage of that and why that is great news is because what was happening is people were not applying for lawful status because they were getting stuck in their home country for a year or more while these waivers, I-601 waivers of inadmissibility were being adjudicated. And that you can't separate families like that, especially because you're generally taking away a wage earner. So in order to um, allow for more people or to make this more attractive to apply for and get legal status is that the waiting now occurs in the United States and then the um, applicant exits to their home country already with their um, provisional waiver, their uh, waiver approval in hand and they go to their interview at their home consulate, and then they can reenter within several weeks as opposed to 12, 18, 24 months, and that's what we were hey, seeing like before. a vacation. Like a vacation, <laughs> go back home and see grandma I actually and grandpa. Have and client, well, I, mean, I have clients who haven't been, you know, seen their parents in more than a decade, and they are using this to be able to go, you know, I make, make a trip of it and go and see their family. Um, yeah. But it is, it's much quicker. It's much more efficient. Um, the only caveat is that, there can be no criminal issues. Now, when I say no criminal issues, it may there just can be nothing. There are certain smaller criminal issues where you are still deemed it, it's not a deportable offense, 
that's not how they're adju- the USCIS is adjudicating these. There can be absolutely no criminal issues. A traffic ticket is one thing, but nothing. And you know, and then you can apply for this type of waiver. Yeah, well, it's a really exciting thing. And uh, also, we'll just toss in there. Uh, Illinois has its uh, the new temporary visitor driver license. I mean, those should be rolling out soon. I mean, that at least people can you know get. Like Judy Bartopinka said, hey, let let them drive, let them get insurance. I don't want to be hit by someone without insurance. I mean, so there, there are steps in the right direction going on. So people should call. So you help with that too? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, you can give me a call on that. Also, um, you know, immigration law is federal law. So I do practice in, in several different states. I have clients kind of all over the United States. And California is also um, considering a similar type of driver's license for undocumented individuals in California, which is huge, obviously, because California is a border state mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So our contact information, we just out about a time. Uh, people who want to get in contact you, what should they do? Um, you can call or email me. Um, call me at 773-501-2039, or my email is kiki at kikislaw.com. That's K-I-K-I at K-I-K-I-S as in Sam, L-A-W dot com. And I, um, I'm happy to speak with you and see if we can come up with something to um, get some immigration benefits granted for you or your family or just to better explain what the processes are like. Exactly. Well, thanks again to Kiki Mosley. We'll have you on again uh, quarterly, if you don't mind, to keep us up to date on what's going on in immigration. I would love to. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. I want to also thank all of our friends for listening to this uh, episode of Law Talk Radio and remind everybody to check out our Internet radio page at nickaugustinepr.com where you can select the Listen Now tab and listen to one of our many different programs with episodes embedded in players on our sites. Uh, Each embedded player has a link to its host channel on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and we've been producing top-quality national programming since 2009 and have earned over 70,000 unique fans who listen to our show. So we appreciate your support and listening and sharing our programming because so many people find these programs on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. Again, thank you all for listening to this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by Nick Augustine PR and with support from local sponsors. Again, Nick Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to educate and entertain you while we share tips, tools, and trends that helps everybody be a better informed practitioner and consumer of legal services. And again, this is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you for your time.